Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, folks. Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast, and uh, we're going to be looking at homelessness, public housing, government policy, and the public fight back in the first part of the program. We're going to move on to uh, talk about uh, the cashless card that uh, the government wants to enforce onto uh, uh, public uh, uh, on uh, social security uh, recipients. Uh, there's going to be a big rally, a, a National Day of Action against the cashless card today. Uh, in Melbourne, it's going to be at the steps of the uh, State Library at one o'clock. Uh, we're going to be talking to Valerie Fafala, who's part of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. She's going to come in and have a yarn with us. And then we're going to hear from the staunch unionist Don Sutherland. Don has gone off to uh, Cuba for three weeks, so hopefully we will be getting a report about what's going on with in Cuba when he gets back. But uh, before he left, I had a yarn with him, and uh, an extended yarn. The first part of the yarn we're going to hear in the later part of the program. Uh, and uh, But before we do, before I wrap it on, uh, we're going to hear an important 3CR announcement. Communities of Sound is a 3CR curated lineup of summer afternoon performances showcasing treaty, creative women, and diverse cultures. Join us at the Fairfield Amphitheatre on Sunday, February 18th, between 5 and 7.30 p.m., to enjoy live performances from Kucha Edwards, Tando, the West Papuan Band, Sweet Dreams, Manisha Njali, June Jones, and Danny Sib. Pack a picnic to share with friends and family or grab a tasty bite and bevy from the 3CR food store. That's Sunday, 18th of February, 5 till 7.30pm at the Fairfield Amphitheatre. For further details, call 94198377 or check out our website at 3cr.org.au. Presented as part of the City of Yarra's Fairfield in Feb series alongside Play On and Melbourne Ukulele Collective. The City of Yarra is a proud sponsor of 3CR. Yes, lovely. What a lovely thing to do. Put it in your calendar. Uh, now, homelessness and public housing. Uh, they're not the same, but they could be the same. <laughs> now, earlier this uh, uh, year, the, uh, Fed, uh, the uh, Victorian government announced the $45 million 
a program that was going to uh, alleviate homelessness, which has been quite clearly uh, denoted as an important issue. Uh, and uh, especially in the Melbourne central area where the uh, homeless have been fought back from uh, uh, bylaws that were going to be put forward to uh, remove them from public site in the inner city. Now, the Victorian government had uh, set up a... Uh, an inquiry into the best way to deal with this. Now, $45 million is a very small amount of money. In If you, you might have caught up uh, with the news that the median price for houses in the Victorian uh, Melbourne uh, housing market over the last week is $900,000. Now, medium isn't average. It's the... Uh, Price that's in the centre of uh, all the sales prices, uh, that and uh, nine hundred thousand dollars is a pretty uh, startling amount of money for a, a house. You'd have to say shelter, a human right shelter. Anyway, uh, forty-five million dollars, and uh, this is supposed to make people feel reasonable about homelessness. And I think that in people's imagination that uh, this Band-Aid, uh, people don't really understand what that might mean. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, the $45 million is a waste of money per se, but it does mean that it's not going to solve homelessness because a lot of people would kind of think that uh, homelessness just requires shelters to be built. However, that's not what the plan is about. So... Uh, Late last year, I went off to this thing called the Archbishop's Chats. Now, one of the archbishops for, uh, I think it's uh, the Uniting Church, uh, uh, one of the Protestant denominations, he has an um, ongoing monthly chat down at uh, Fed Square and they have a panel of people coming to speak and their subject was homelessness. And uh, the fellow Tony Nicholson, who uh, was employed by the government to uh, investigate methods of dealing with homelessness and what would be in that report that was going to be written that then uh, uh, was the uh, foundation of the $45 million that were being put forward to deal with homelessness in the Victorian government's uh, policy framework, uh, was there and he described what it was that he was looking at and uh, what were the gen was the general uh, uh, notions that he was going to be putting forward in that report. So let's start off our uh, morning with uh, some facts rather than um, pontifications. Tony Nicholson has dedicated over 30 years to improving conditions of those living on or close to the edges of society. A feature of his work has been his ability to collaborate with colleague social justice organisations, governments and businesses to achieve reform in public policy and service delivery to the benefits of disadvantaged Australians. Tony is currently Executive Director of the Brotherhood of St Lawrence here in Melbourne he has a strong record of service development and innovation, research and policy analysis, and compelling advocacy. In January this year, Tony commenced in the part-time role as chair of the state government's rough sleeping strategy, working with agencies on the ground to build long-term sustainable strategies to reduce rough sleeping in Victoria, 
Tony, what are the uh, principal causes of homelessness? If you uh, look at the data about the numbers of people who are rough sleeping, uh, and we have pretty good data uh, about that through the ABS, uh, of all the people who experience uh, some form of homelessness, only about uh, 10% uh, do so in, uh, in, on the street, that is, rough sleeping. And of those, uh, a minority um, do so for long periods of time. For the majority of people who experience rough sleeping, you find that uh, it's a relatively short period. Uh, that's not to say it's not dangerous or degrading, it is. Uh, but it's a relatively short period of some weeks rather uh, than months. Uh, but what you do find is that those people who have longer periods of rough sleeping, generally that correlates with a mental health problem or, or an addiction of some sort, often uh, that is, has its origins in some form of trauma. I was reading the other day that there are many uh, elderly women who don't have superannuation who are living in their cars now, which is obviously an extremely sad situation. Yeah. Can you talk us through the principal causes? Yeah, look, look I think it's important to understand that um, those folks that find themselves uh, without shelter are literally on the street. Uh, just the tip of the iceberg of the phenomenon of homelessness in our society. So they're about 10% of all people who experience homelessness. There's a whole lot of other people in various circumstances that might be uh, residing in crisis accommodation. They may be in caravan parks. They may be sleeping in their cars. They may be very temporarily put up with friends or, or couch surfing. Uh, so this is a, a very broad and large phenomenon of which the folk you find on the street are just really the tip of uh, that iceberg. So when we're thinking about homelessness in, in its full breadth, uh, you find that it affects uh, a, a diverse range of people. But there are really, to my mind and experiences, uh, there are three main causes. Uh, the first is family violence. So if we were able to eliminate family violence overnight, you would eliminate about 40% of homelessness. About 40%. That's how, uh, how significant that is. So typically that's um, uh, women and children who are the victims uh, of uh, violence from men who find themselves uh, homeless. Uh, but it's also young people that are squeezed out of homes, uh, uh, etc. So that's one big cause. The second big driver of the phenomenon of homelessness is uh, employment and unemployment. So the uh, best way to be resilient in the housing market is to have a job. But here in Victoria, we find that there's about 200,000 people who are unemployed, of whom about 40,000 have been unemployed for longer uh, than a year. So that means if you don't have the support of family or friends, uh, you're solely reliant upon a Centrelink income, uh, a new start uh, income, which uh, with all the uh, assistance available from Centrelink, it's about $47 a day. So what this means is uh, uh, 
the problem that a lot of single people are facing is they have to make choices between whether they find accommodation and pay for it or whether they meet their other uh, ne the necessities of life, like uh, feeding themselves. This is how uh, bad it has uh, uh, got in Australia. So uh, there's that issue of unemployment that predisposes people to the situ situation of homelessness. And then thirdly is the issue of housing costs. So thinking about that single uh, unemployed person uh, solely relying upon a Centrelink income, of all the lettings in the private rental market in Victoria uh, over the last year, only half of 1% of those lettings was able to be afforded by that single person. So that's how desperate uh, it's, uh, it's become. So there's, uh, such is the high cost uh, of housing, uh, particularly in metropolitan Melbourne. Yep, extraordinary. Um, Tony, you said that uh, only about 10% are actually sleeping rough, uh, that most are couch surfing or uh, in crisis centres or so on, um, and most are not on the CBD. Where are they? Yes, yeah, so that's um, a very, very important point, actually. Uh, the work that I've been doing uh, for the state government, I've found that the vast majority who experience uh, rough sleeping in Victoria... Uh, do so in the suburbs and in uh, country towns. So the, uh, about two-thirds of all the people who experience rough sleeping are, uh, do so in the, in the suburbs of the country towns. So what we see in central Melbourne uh, aren't folk that have fallen on... that live in central Melbourne and have fallen on hard times. Uh, they tend to be people that have drifted towards... Uh, the city centre as their life circumstances have uh, deteriorated. And that's largely due to the, uh, the perception that there are services available to them uh, in central Melbourne. Uh, and when you get into some of the suburbs and into country towns, uh, the services are scant, the prevalence uh, is high. And uh, that's part of the uh, strategy that we're now compiling is proposing that, in fact, uh, we need to intervene much earlier in the circumstances that people experience. Uh, but you can only do so if you have service infrastructure out in the suburbs and in country towns. Uh, building more service infrastructure in central Melbourne will just exacerbate the problem in central Melbourne as people drift in towards those services. So you're helping the state government develop a, a, a statewide strategy. Mm. Um, how's that going, and, and, and when do you think we're going to see some results from that? Well, I'm due to hand to the Housing Minister uh, a high-level strategy by the end of October. So we're very much in that stage now of working out what we think needs to be done. Uh, I've talked about the importance of building service infrastructure in locations in the suburbs and in country towns. Uh, I think there's a big opportunity to intervene earlier in other allied service systems. Uh, so, for example, uh, people who are being in hospital are being discharged onto the streets uh, without shelter. Uh, people that uh, have been in some form of custody are being discharged. Uh, one of the, uh, uh, that's one of the big uh, challenges, is how do we ensure that these other major service systems 
uh, understand uh, and are alert to circumstances of homelessness. Um, and whilst my report is to the state government, uh, there is uh, a very, very significant issue within Centrelink uh, and within the various employment assistance agencies that are responsibility of the uh, Commonwealth Government uh, because those uh, services simply aren't working uh, for people who uh, are rough sleeping at the moment. Yes, I think anybody would uh, dread falling into the hands of Centrelink from, from what we well, hear. The, um, you know, the, the, I have great sympathy for the Centrelink staff. They're under enormous uh, pressure, uh, such as the high volume of work that they're expected to, to carry out. The reality is uh, that uh, a lot of the people who experience homelessness, that, that uh, hasn't been identified by people uh, within Centrelink. Uh, and when it has, and they're referred to employment agencies, uh, they're not getting the support that they need. Uh, one of the really important uh, pieces of data that I was surprised about that came out of this piece of work is that uh, roughly half of all the people who are experiencing rough sleeping are deemed by Centrelink to be actively in the labour market. So this is uh, people that are on Newstart or a youth allowance. Uh, so you have people that uh, don't have shelter, uh, and uh, have very little resources, uh, but they are subject to the rules and regulations of Centrelink that they should be looking for work, attending job interviews, uh, etc. So this is uh, this is a big area uh, of reform needed uh, within Centrelink. Yes. yes. So. My concern about the media coverage is that um, it causes people to think of people who are experiencing homelessness almost as if they're a different species. Yeah. You know, they're not like us. Mm. And um, uh, I started my social work career um, working as a duty social worker in a homeless centre and over about five years I've calculated I would have conducted structured social work interviews with over 4,000 people who were homeless at, at the time. And one of my reflections about that is that uh, what I've found, even in their deepest despair and stress, uh, they aspired uh, to be like you and I. They, they had main, very modest mainstream aspirations to be able to work, have a decent place to live and have some sense of family. And I think that's what we've got to remember, that these are people like you and I, uh, they have mainstream aspirations, uh, and that's the, the problem with the media coverage that I have, is that it just causes us to think of them as others, other than you and I. Yes. Uh, we've just had a conference here last week uh, about homelessness where the uh, visiting professor from Ireland uh, spoke about the Finland model of affordable housing. Uh, would that work here, do you think? Um, Sorry, explain to what's up what yeah. the Finland model is. So well, so. essentially, um, the argument uh, that he put from the experience in Finland was that uh, rather than providing temporary and emergency accommodation, um, uh, the better solution is simply to build houses for the people who are homeless. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, there is uh, 
an acute lack of affordable housing uh, in Victoria and, uh, and in Australia. I, I would seriously offer some cautions about, uh, uh, about the sort of prescriptions that it is offering. Um, this is an area of social policy uh, that is prone to attract uh, solutions uh, from people from other countries uh, that don't recognise a very different context uh, mm -hmm. for uh, the work uh, here in Victoria and in Australia. So if you... Just thinking about Finland, Finland is roughly the same population. I think they're about five and a half million, so almost a similar population to Victoria. But if you look at other uh, factors, uh, the population growth in Finland is about uh, about 0.4 of 1% per annum. In Victoria, over the last decade, it's been averaged about 1.8%. Last year, it was over 2%. This is massive population growth. So the challenge of, of housing, uh, the increase in population uh, in Victoria when compared to Finland is four or five times greater. Uh, another uh, aspect that needs to be taken into account in uh, Finland and a number of the Scandinavian countries, the unemployment benefit in Finland is struck at about 60% of average weekly earnings. Uh, here in Australia and in Victoria, it's struck at about 23% of average weekly earnings. Uh, in Finland, they have uh, uh, the social housing makes up about 14% of total housing stock. Here in Victoria, it's about 3%. So, you know, um, it's a much bigger challenge, much more complex uh, in Victoria. Uh, frankly, solving homelessness in Finland is a doddle compared with the challenge that we face here, uh, because uh, this is an area with massive population growth, uh, with uh, massive changes in the labour market, many more people long-term unemployed than we've experienced in previous decades. These are policy areas that have been neglected. Uh, so, of course, building more housing, uh, and particularly low-cost housing for single people in particular, is a critical part of any solution, but it's a much more complex issue in Australia. The Archbishop referred to uh, drawing on the wide range of policy areas to, to find solutions. Clearly, early intervention is uh, important. Where, given the three sorts of homelessness you described, where would that early intervention be best directed? Well, uh, in terms of the responsibilities uh, of a state government, uh, it's really in the service sectors where uh, identifying people that are at risk of homelessness and uh, uh, responding more quickly. Uh, but there are big uh, reforms required that require both Commonwealth and state governments working together. Uh, so clearly the whole issue of the inadequacy of the new start allowance is just appalling. Uh, and that needs to be addressed. Uh, and I hope those uh, in the political uh, processes that are, are recognising uh, problems of um, inequity and, and inequality in Australian society actually focus on uh, improving that, uh, that uh, New Start uh, payment. And the whole issue of housing policy, the Victorian government last year uh, I think had a, a good start on, on putting forward a policy uh, that is pretty comprehensive, 
But you've got to say it's pretty modest. And it's modest because of the neglect uh, of these issues for a long period of time. It's a good start, but it's still very modest. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to 3CR. And we've just been listening to Tony Nicholson, uh, who was involved in uh, creating the report, which basically came out and uh, resulted in the Victorian government's $45 million uh, uh, policy towards uh, alleviating homelessness. And if you're wondering what was in that report and what direction it was taking, then Tony Nicholson was made it quite clear that it was about it's actually about uh, intervention uh, putting in uh, it's an interventionist model money to services around mental health and drug addiction it's a victorian wide policy forty five million dollars is a small amount, but that there are larger issues now he touched on the notion that the the Victorian government had a uh, what's now being called the public housing renewal model um, and uh, it's, uh, he gave it some positive reviews. However, when I went down to the Ascot Fail demonstration down in Dunlop Street, which was on uh, the 18th of uh, January, uh, people were a lot less complimentary around the idea that over nine uh, public housing estates are going to be de- demolished. Uh, land titles are going to be given over to uh, private uh, developers and that in actual fact the sums don't add up, that uh, fewer and fewer people are going to be able to actually be in public housing in Victoria. Now, uh, I went down there and I did some recording and there's some fascinating details that come out from the various people who were down there. So let's hear. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> so uh, is she worried about uh, what's going to happen? Uh, she said because she's getting old, she's been used to live long time. She really like here. If she move far away, she's not very convenient. Yeah. How long has she been living here? You two 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 she said that maybe no flat for her, no flat, no flat at all. Yeah, no, that's right, because uh, the government says that it's going to relocate people, but it's reducing the amount of homes, so... How is that possible? 
，呃，开威说两年就可以搬回来了，但是我想这样不可能的。啊，是在 in the meeting that said two years we can move back. She said impossible. Any other information? Have you have they asked you to sign anything? 他说有没有其他信呃，就是叫你签字什么的吗？还没有哦，这跟跟过进去很多人呢、啊，也不同意啊，因为啊，这里很方便，有学校，有什么空间给我们呢、啊？但是我们的房子也不是很很旧啊，也可以，也可以住啊，嗯，没有什么。你一句说你说太多，因为我是有人打我，你再重复一遍，我因为听 ，because I'm talking, I can't concentrate. Yeah, 你再说一遍。我说我很很满意我现在住的房子，不很很旧。She says she very happy her flat. The condition still very good, not old. No. And uh, uh, is any information in Vietnamese? Uh, uh, she said, "You have you received any Vietnamese letters or letters? No. No. You don't know. Yeah. That I'm not in this group. No. Forty-eight. Yeah, this, this was all built after the Second World War because there was a lack of housing, right? Yes, because it was built after the Second World War. I was born in 1947 and we were living, myself and my older sister and my parents, on a back veranda of um, a, uh, my grandmother's house and then my mother was a housekeeper for a market gardener in Clayton and then eventually my father got a war service home. And uh, but he died early of war injuries, and uh, they would not continue to let my mother, as a war widow, um, rent the house unless I went creditor for her at the age of 20, because they didn't believe a woman could make the payments, even as small as they were. Uh, and she was a shop assistant, but it was um, without we would not have been able to maintain the family home if I had not have gone creditor. And that house continued to be paid off for 30 years. And uh, in that whole time, I could not get a housing loan from any bank because I was creditor for my mother's house. So there were only two ways people, low-income people, could get housing, war service loan houses, which we're in, and places like this. And that, the Housing Commission was huge and built, as everyone knows, there's so many people that came through Housing Commission houses that hopefully this struggle will resonate and bring them out because without stable housing, you can't have stable education. I'll speak in this direction. Okay, now, building on our success from yesterday, we're up there in... Um, Rothwell Street, just at 24 Dunlop, we mounted a picket and we successfully quartered the drillers coming in. Um, now, now, it's unclear when, in fact, the Department of Housing or the Office of Housing, whatever they've downgraded it to, um, once the Department of Housing used to be the biggest department in the ministry. Um, it was a huge department, but from the Kennett days on, they turned it into what they called the Office of Housing. And there's been a continuous 
destruction of public housing since the Kennett years. But anyway, that's another story. But I just wanted to uh, begin by referring to our success yesterday. Now, basically, I mean, from a personal point of view, I've been coming onto this estate because my mother-in-law lives on it for over 20 years. And uh, I've never seen any um, issues that these people, I went to a meeting down in Noon Street in Clifton Hill about the, the uh, destruction and demolition of that there. And they started explaining, this is, a, this is last year, and they started explaining um, why they're doing all this. And they said, oh, you know, there's been issues, social issues on these estates, right? And then I said, oh, name one. And they said, oh, someone tried to light a fire um, up in Dunlop Avenue. I said, oh, that's interesting. I know about that. It was in the laundry, wasn't it? And they didn't have a clue. Now, what has eventuated, these people that they've got going around to these estates door knocking are casuals, if you like. They're being contracted through companies. They are not Department of Housing people. They are people, and, and almost an army, that have basically been put together to move people out. Okay? They're not even familiar with the intricacies of public housing. Um, so when you look at this here, you think, what in the hell would they want to pull this down for and spend all that money? Structurally, they're sound. That money could be easily used to build new units, right? Renovate these units. They haven't been touched in years. Now, I know someone who works as a public servant, the rent that's collected from all these estates goes into general revenue. It does not go into a budget earmarked for renovation. The government does what they like with this money. It's not stipulated what the rent money should be used for. Now, if you think if, it was, if they were fair income about public housing, they would recognise that over a period of 20 years, 30 years, estates need to be renovated. They actually need to be maintained. Now, there's been a deliberate policy on this estate and on all the others. When someone moves out, they don't, and this has been going on for a while, they do not put someone else in. So what's coming out on the agenda now has been on the books for a long time. How do we know that? Because they're not filling the vacancies on the estates when people are moved out or move out. They don't put people back in. And in fact, on this estate, it, it basically is, I would estimate, from the figures, their own figures of how many are on it, it's 600 below capacity of what it could house. It's 600 people below capacity. So this is the duplicity of the government in this whole role. Now, when you look at these estates, they are cultural and social entities. They actually have community centres. They have gardens. They have built into them support networks. They have local facilities available. Now, what is going on? What's going on is that all the ten estates around the inner ring of Melbourne, they're looking at dollars. The government is complicit and criminal and colluding with the developers. This whole stage one here, 
I bet my bottom dollar, they've almost admitted it, will be all for private tenants. It would be sold freehold. It will never remain in public housing. Even though they're saying, on the estates, they're saying there'll be 10% increase in housing. But they're not saying where on the estates. They're not saying which parts of the estates. They're not saying here, specifically, there will be public tenants coming back. They're just saying you'll be able to come back. They, can't, they don't sign any agreement with any of the tenants. The only thing they get you to sign, the tenants, is to agree to move out. And then they promise you, if it's community housing, if you meet the criteria of the community housing organisations, which are different, by the way, to public housing, you may be able to come back. Now, you know, it's a complete and utter mess and it's basic criminal collusion with developers. So, so where, where will the tenant go, tenants go if this is successful? Well, no one knows. <laughs> the where will they go? Where are they all going to go across the, all, all the estates? No one bloody well knows. Now, any, any caring organisation would at least give people the peace of mind, right, of, of stipulating some long-term projection. People actually have medical problems. They actually have children who are in schools. They actually rely on local facilities because, like anyone in any suburb, they're intricately part of it. But this government, this organisation, is not helping these people, giving them any comfort of mind, if you like. All right, now, basically, how can we explain this criminal behaviour and this collusion? Because in the neoconservative agenda of the government, these estates are a gift. They are a gift to developers. This is the neoconservative agenda. Developers look at this and they see bloody dollars. The neoconservative politicians of the Labor and the Liberal Party look at this and they see dollars. They don't see people. They don't see you and I. They don't see our relatives. They don't even see the people on the streets that could be put into the, the, the units that have been vacated. Now, regardless of what their timeline is, there's rooms on these estates that are unfilled. Now, any caring organisation, government, would at least give people a bed. So what our plan is from this, um, from this site here, from, from this moment, is we, I'll ask if anyone else wants to say a word. We might have one or two speakers here. Our plan is to mar march, walk down Dunlop Avenue here and then back through the estate and to eventually arrive, it's only about half a mile, at the Department of Housing, DHHS, Department of Housing. And we have a, um, a letter that um, we're going to serve with a delegation of tenants, if anyone's willing, some have said they might be willing to go into the Department of Housing and um, serve this for the notice of the minister. You've got to look at the strategy of the ALP government. It's been bloody cunning. 
all right? They've kept this under the radar really effectively. And it's only organisations like ours, the Defence of Public Housing Network, Friends of Public Housing, Defend Public Housing, been trying for a long time to basically put this on the radar to the citizens of Melbourne, basically, of what in the hell is going on here. Now, I was just talking to someone before, a lad from Heidelberg Heights over there, and he was saying, you know, we still use the word public transport, but the government isn't using the word public housing anymore. Now, that's telling you something in itself. They're using this strange vocabulary of social housing. Now, what the bloody hell is social housing? Well, it's where they turn the housing over to private organisations with their own bureaucracy, so-called non-profit organisations that have their own criteria. And so when you look at the form that the tenants have been asked to sign, it says you will be able to come back if you meet the criteria of the community housing organisations. Ah, what are the criteria? What are the criteria of these community organisations? How many of them are there? There's up to 20. Now, this is a total movement away from the concept of public housing with one set of rules for everyone, transparency, equality, you're on the list, there are emergency situations. These community organisations can, can not accept you of their own volition. Now, this is a different concept of public housing. Again, cunningly, they've been able to keep it under the radar. So our basic strategy within our limited little people resources, we're trying to put this <coughs> up on the, on the banner, up on the billboard for the public to understand. Now, I'll just ask Marceline to read the letter. Dear Minister Foley, we formally acknowledge this letter as a protest of the sham public housing renewal program across Melbourne. On many critical levels, there are numerous significant problems that impact on individuals, families, communities, and society at large. The highly emotionally charged issue of shelter, safety, and stability is ignored by the policies and process your government has enacted. Tenants are simply not informed and consulted, and neither are issues raised by your program clarified. Clearly evident are the euphemisms used to present a diminishing number of flats for tenants with families as the number of three-bedroom flats are drastically reduced. The sheer dishonesty is clear as families are aware that they will be pushed out. Ascot Vale, which is almost 73 acres and can house 2,300 tenants, is now only supporting 1,700. We recognize the deliberate refusal not to refill vacant flats. This is a complete blow to those 35,000 people or so on the waiting list and the homeless on our streets. The strategy to reduce and completely destroy public housing for vulnerable people on low incomes is despicable. Your government's policy, which heightens fear, anxiety and depression, uh, desperation, sorry, amongst people on low incomes is simply inhumane. We fundamentally object to a program that is based on the private privatization of public land. There is no place for developers, private developers in public housing. We aim to make this an election issue and reveal the ALP for what it is. It's probably relevant to say that Marceline was brought up on this estate and it's the stability of the housing for her family, a large family of five children, 
um, and all of them were able to advance themselves through education and so on. But what was it? What was the core of it? Stability of housing. What's public housing for? To stabilise people's lives, to enable them to get on with their life, and not to have to scratch and day to day wondering where the hell they're going to be next week. Right. Stop labour sellers. More public housing. Stop labour sellers. But I don't know if they've done this on other states, but at West Brunswick, lost. the minister produced a fridge magnet saying, I pledge that people will be able to return. I pledge that uh, it will remain public housing, blah, blah. Those pledges are total lies. Yeah, that's 100%. right, exactly. I, but I don't know if they've used it anywhere else. But some people are going to think, not everyone, but some people are going to get, sort of feel like that's, oh, the government couldn't lie that much. Some people will think like that. So yeah, it's very clever, can... very clever of the minister to do that because it, the relocation agreements don't make that promise. No, no. It's no, just well, that, rubbish, that, total it, rubbish. But also, as uh, it was said, uh, you're allowed to return assuming you fall into the conditions mm. of the community housing or social mm. housing group. Yeah. So, you know, he will say, oh, but my pledge still stands. Yeah, and also, it also could mean that people who've got ch scored jobs, um, maybe they're earning over the threshold that you'd have to meet to move into public housing also may not be allowed to return. Cause I, I mean, the thing about public housing is that uh, the, the issue of public housing at the moment is about vulnerability mm. but also and also housing stock yeah. costs, uh, private rentals and lazy capitalists in Australia that make their living out of uh, rent gouging. Uh, but actually, there's a broader issue, isn't there, of... Uh, uh, shelter being a human right, yeah, you know, like uh, Australia hasn't grasped that. No, exactly. In fact, what Australia hasn't grasped with its privatisation program is that shelter, water, access to uh, a living wage or living income um, and access to electricity are all basic human rights. Yeah, uh, that, that we're not here for just... Uh, the economy to keep rolling over. Actually, the economy is there to support society. That's exactly right. It's, it's um, I mean, you know, what they're trying to push, and this is what the public housing renewal program is all about, because it's not really about public housing renewal. It's another um, step in the neoliberal agenda of privatisation that began under Thatcher and Hawke. And, uh, and has been ending. thoroughly discredited. That's right, it's been thoroughly discredited, but it's still going on, and that's what we're seeing with NDIS replacing private, you know, public disability services. They're still privatising things. Yeah. You know, they privatised one of the Centrelink call centres, and they're about to um, privatise one of the call centres for the immigration department. And It's just know. not an efficient methodology for running services. Absolutely not, and it actually is really harming people, but they don't care, and they're going to keep on doing it until there's enough people who understand what's going on and standing up to it all.
Yeah. Because I think have um, are trying to influence the community legal centres and all of these different organisations that this is a good thing. I think what VCOS is doing is a conflict of interest in my opinion. They put out a statement last year, at the end of last year, saying that the government should speed up this whole public housing renewal. Um, you know, and that's because the community housing associations want to get their hands on some of the housing in, in these um, so-called redevelopments um, and VCOS isn't, isn't thinking about the fact that this is privatisation by stealth and they're not thinking about people falling out of public housing through being forcibly relocated like this. I can't understand the VCOS position and it reminds me of when ACOS, uh, it's sort of a federal sister, um, basically um, supported the goods and services tax. It's a, um, I think it's scandalous. Hi, I'm Aaron Pedersen, and you're listening to 3CR. And uh, you're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and we have just been down at Ascot Vale, the uh, at the Dunlop uh, Street. Uh, uh, demonstration against uh, the uh, public housing renewal program that the Victorian government is pursuing, uh, where they're going to demolish nine estates in inner Melbourne and uh, hand over land titles to private developers, saying that this is the right way to uh, ensure that uh, uh, people who are um, on low incomes and uh, vulnerable will be housed in the future but uh, fascinating to hear that uh, 600 uh, flats are empty and uh, from my uh, uh, going to various meetings uh, one at uh, uh, North Melbourne as well as Northcote uh, there it would appear for example on Northcote's estate down there that uh, from 2013 uh, flats have not been filled so uh, this is a long-term strategy and uh, it is a neoliberal uh, assault on uh, public assets. Now, uh, the uh, w- mentioned in that, uh, in that piece was uh, the uh, Friends of Public Housing and the Defence of Public Housing. Uh, there was a demonstration by uh, these, uh, this, these groups on the 1st of February uh, outside uh, the um, the building where the uh, Senate committee into uh, 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 homelessness and uh, public housing was being held, and I got to speak to uh, Howard Morosi about what happened and uh, who they got to speak to, and uh, generally speaking, what uh, they are able to glean from uh, this uh, Senate committee. So the, the organisation which organised the rally on um, Monday was the Public Housing Defence Network. And you were uh, uh, you were demonstrating about uh, federal government funding for public housing and how that's going to change according to this federal government. Can you explain what's going on? Yeah. Well, specifically, our demonstration was about uh, the fact that both federal and state governments... Um, across Australia have been uh, effectively giving away what's called transferring public housing to um, to community housing um, for many years 
and uh, as well as giving away public housing, a lot of money that they've been putting into the housing sector of the economy has been going to community housing and virtually none has gone to public housing. So for example in Victoria since 2006 according to the Auditor General um, public housing has gone down by 600 uh, homes and community housing has gone up by 9,600. So that's the kind of thing we're actually demonstrating against. And what's happened with um, uh, the Senate inquiry uh, was what we were demonstrating at on Monday in, in the city of Melbourne and um, so what's happened is the federal government has now put together a bill, which they're having the inquiry into, uh, and the bill will actually, uh, apart from affecting the funding, um, they're actually going to force the states to uh, increase the level of transfer or giveaway of public housing to community housing. How can they do that? Um, well, it's basically been the ideology of both ALP and the Liberal Party uh, at state and federal level uh, since the end of the Hawke government. Um, so it comes within that uh, mentality. Um, so, so what they've done is the, the federal government can just change its policy. Um, and uh, if they get the agreement of the states, they can change the arrangements. But how can um, they... Uh, they're creating legislation that's forcing the, uh, the states to divest public... Uh, assets. So how does that work? What are they talking about? Okay, so the, the states get a lot of money from the federal government for housing. So the, the federal government is effectively um, tying that um, money that they're giving the states to their federal policy. Um, the federal policy being uh, getting rid of public housing and giving it to community housing. Can you explain to listeners the difference between public housing and community housing? Yep. So public housing is housing that's owned and managed by uh, the government. Um, the rents are kept at 25% of the tenant's income. Um, so if there's any variation of the rent, uh, the, uh, sorry, any variation of the tenant's income, the, the rent varies accordingly. Uh, also, the tenant has ongoing uh, security, no short-term leases, and thirdly, anyone that qualifies uh, on the income levels um, is accepted onto the waiting list for public housing and is accepted uh, once they get to the top of the list. Community housing is not like that at all. Uh, community housing has higher rents, often much higher rents. Um, it, it has shorter term leases and at the end of the lease you can just be asked to leave like any private tenant. Uh, and also they tend to choose who they want um, into their housing so that they, they want people that don't have problems and they also tend to want people that uh, have higher incomes. So uh, what was, uh, so where's this going uh, with the uh, Senate inquiry? Uh, well effectively the inquiry was uh, attended by four senators. There was a Liberal Party representative um, I actually don't have a name right at the moment, not a prominent person. Uh, Doug Cameron, the um, ALP spokesperson on housing, and Chris Ketter, also a relatively senior person from the ALP, plus um, the Greens spokesperson, Larry Annan. Um, so we, we actually had the opportunity outside the hearing to, um, to effectively approach 
the two ALP senators and also Lee Rhiannon. We wanted to speak to the Liberal representative as well, but she wouldn't come out. She had a lunch ferried into her over lunchtime. Um, and uh, we got uh, Doug Cameron to admit that the ALP policy is to transfer um, community, to public housing to community housing. Um, we've got a video of that, and that video should be available fairly soon. I'd recommend anyone to watch it. Um, we spoke to Lee Rhiannon, and she reiterated the Greens' policy uh, of um, funding for public housing. But we pointed out that the federal uh, Greens' policy doesn't actually state opposition to transfer of um, public housing to community housing, so she undertook to have a look at that. We, we thought it was a good rally. Uh, about 20 of us turned up at short notice. Uh, we made our point. Um, I think it's important to, to actually attend these rallies where we confront the politicians because otherwise they just sit uh, and you know, that their advisors get emails from various groups. Um, they, they have their inquiries uh, where they control the agenda. Um, so w this rally was effectively our people's inquiry into um, the, the party's policies and we actually got the uh, information we were looking for. Ali MC and the Footscray Community Arts Centre present Rohingya Refugee Crisis in Colour, an exhibition that delves deep into the heart of the ongoing Rohingya refugee crisis. Featuring photography from both Ali MC and Rohingya refugees, a short documentary and stunning aerial drone footage. Head down to the opening at Footscray Community Arts Centre, 6pm on Thursday, February 8th. The exhibition runs from February 9 until March 10. For more information, visit footscrayarts.com. A 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast. That uh, video that uh, Howard uh, Morosi was talking about, uh, I'll see if I can put the link on our uh, uh podcast page so that you can be able to have a look at it yourself. Uh, great work going on amongst those people uh, uh, defending public housing. Need more supporters? You should uh, involve yourself in this because this is a, um, a, what's going on in this, this. This is going to change the nature of this country, Australia, because for uh, working class people, people who are vulnerable, uh, they are being told that they're not allowed to have a stable existence and they will not be allowed, we will not be allowed to uh, be be part of the political discussion. And in the studio we've got uh, Valerie Fafala. She's from the Australian... Oh, the Australian Unemployed Workers' Union. Uh, and today, uh, Valerie, another issue of grand importance on the same scale is the cashless card, welfare card. That the What a misnomer. I always leave out the word welfare because, you know, it just does not seem to compute. Tell us about the cashless welfare card that the Turnbull government wants to inflict on us. Right. Well, can I just... Um put it into context in terms of our day of action today. We've got a national day of action against the welfare crackdown and this is really about two bills that uh, the government wants to surreptitiously put through the Senate in February um, and quite a lot of different groups, anti-poverty network, a whole lot of groups, we're all um, encouraging a lot of letter writing to senators. We're getting out there and saying please stop these bills going through. 
um, cashless welfare card is one of them. Um, and uh, there's another one too, which is actually going to affect people who are going to the job agencies, that is people on New Start. So I might mention that a bit later too. Yeah, that's right. But the main thing is... Um, why, why is the cashless uh, Why is the cashless welfare card such a, such a uh, terrible uh, instrument for people who are on uh, welfare payments? Well, um, just telling you a bit about the cashless welfare debit card bill, the bill removes Section 124PF of the Social Security Administration Act 1999, and that limits the trial to three locations, where, they, where it is now, to the end of June the 30th. Um, now, somehow they put through some research which showed that they were going fine, and it's absolutely fraudulent research. It's been disproved by many, including the Greens. So by... Ending this trial and yeah, but you see, limiting it. No, but but the the Liberal government, uh, when they say that it works, what they're really trying to say to people, the public, is that it stops people from uh, uh, using uh, social security money on um, addictions. Uh, that it uh, keeps, uh, it helps to enforce peace peaceful communities because of it and uh, I can't remember what the other supposed uh, good point for the cashless card is but actually all it's doing is causing people, uh, locking people in to having to buy uh, stuff from particular big stores. Yeah, I I want to explain that to you. So uh, the fact is that the trials um, are going to be allowed through if this bill goes through everywhere. So it enables the indefinite extension of the card. It was formerly known as the Healthy Welfare Card, and it restricts 80% of any income support payment to an FPOS-style debit card that's geared to use big businesses like Coles and Woolworths. And that's because FPOS is wholly owned by its 18 members, including Coles and Woolworths, with all, oh, the, profits, really? with all the profits from the cashless welfare transactions going to a handful of large companies. So uh, the people who have the card don't get the benefits of any interest. So, so it's, it's affecting the people who it's uh, on a whole lot of levels, but also small businesses should watch out. Oh, definitely. So what if you prefer uh, cheaper markets such as charity shops, farmers markets that use cash, school fates and excursions, even lunch money, babysitters that require cash? And what about eBay, Gumtree, PayPal? And what if you share house rental and you normally pay cash? Well, this card takes away a person's right to choose where they shop or how they pay their bills and perhaps where they will live. And according to the No Cashless Welfare Debt Card Australia group, there's quite a few groups cropping up against this. It's another case of the LNP outsourcing, as you say, privatising, because it's privatising to the Indu Star Group company. One of them is Star Group's a gambling company, believe it or not. Talk about the irony of it. Um, And this is using the Visa card platform to control payments and make decisions on behalf of people without their consent. And it should be a voluntary procedure on a case-by-case basis. So it's treating everybody like uh, who are uh, social security recipients, and that's a, a quite a lot, large amount of people within the Australian framework, uh, as if they're children that uh, can't handle their money. That's right. It demonises and really stigmatises those people too because they feel singled out by this. ACOS CEO Cassandra Goldie said the Senate must reject mandatory cashless debit cards because they're not backed by reliable evidence. That's what I was getting at with the research. It was really faulty. Um, 
they've been imposed on communities without proper consultation and consent. They've just been imposed, basically. There, there was a recent uh, event at Melbourne University where uh, it was reported that a person from Sejuna was, uh, was stood up and talked about her experience that as an abused uh, a person in an abusive uh, relationship, she would not have been able to remove herself from that relationship with if she was doomed to a cashless card. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It's got so many disadvantages. The card applies to anyone receiving a working age income support payment in the trial site communities, irrespective of whether they have an addiction to alcohol, drugs or gambling. Which is the same thing that happened to Aboriginal communities where they enforced it, where they were quarantining people's money. And the reasoning that they gave was because it was all for the children, so that children got food and were taken to the... Except that they applied it to everybody, people who had no children. I know, and people who were very good at their own income management. So how undignified that is for those people to be targeted in that way. It's so shocking. So people in the Sejuna and East Kimberley trial sites said they needed mental health and youth programs, financial counselling, programs for men, domestic violence services, rehab and employment services. And this is where the government should be focusing their attention rather than spending 10000 per person in administering the cashless debit card to people living in poverty. But you know there's an ulterior motive. Um, and some of our members are concerned about the purpose of the card. Some believe it's to funnel welfare money into a small number of big businesses that have made substantial donations to the LNP. So basically, it's all linked up with big business. So not only do poor people have to spend up in big places like Coles and not get fresh stuff, um, what about the rest of their lives that they need cash for? As you said, like the the lunch money um, for kids, all sorts of things you need The cash. implication is that people who are poor, financially poor, yeah. uh, are there because they can't handle their money, which is just a ridiculous notion. Uh, the, the other thing is that it strikes me that it also pinpoints that the LMP government are incompetent at governing. They have to outsource because they can't govern. Well, that's the case. They never come up with any decent policies, but it's also part of their neoliberal agenda, isn't it? No, they're incompetent. They they don't know how to govern, so they have to get the servants to do it. And the servants just happen to be either robots or multinationals. But and oh look, it's shocking the way they're treating the just the ordinary people. As you said earlier, with the housing interview you did earlier, and the chap was saying. Um, they really are out of touch with the everyday person and what they have to go through and the poverty that some of the people experience, or most of them, on Newstart at two sixty eight a week. Imagine that when you've got rentals over three fifty. How do you? How on earth can you cope with food and transport and all the other bills that are that are happening? One of our agendas at the Australian Unemployed Workers Union is to increase Newstart to the Henderson Poverty Line. And that is much fairer. That's more like 517 per week. Imagine what the federal government would say to that. Oh, f- fancy. That's far too much for these undeserving poor and these dull well, bridges. Well, they've got a, um, a business plan that uh, uh, already clearly states that they are uh, these changes that they're going for in these bills will remove 
uh, a specific amount of welfare, social security recipients and recoup to the government a certain amount of funds. That's why they're doing these policies. Oh, but yes. They're quite clear about it. They see it as... Uh, not not as um, an um, uh, that they have a citizenry that they have a responsibility to. It's uh, that uh, the, the, this is a deficit on the on one side of the equation, which they'll be able to recoup by doing draconian and unreasonable actions. And it's all about bean counting and reducing the welfare um, payments, the welfare budget. Um, But significantly, the two new bills that they want to introduce does a few other things too. It significantly expands the dangerous work for the Dole Forced Labour Program. It extends and expands the discredited cashless welfare program. It increases the waiting period for new start, cutting payments by 540 for new applicants. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Six weeks Mm -hmm. you have to wait before you're allowed to actually apply. So in the past, if a person lost their job, they would go down and apply. And uh, from the date that uh, they were unemployed, the payments would be backdated. But now you have to wait six weeks before you can actually apply and then you might be able to get a payment. Yeah, uh, according to these exactly. new rules. It also increases financial penalties for the unemployed. And I just want to talk about that too. So it gives private job agencies complete power to make compliance decisions, taking away government oversight and the unemployed workers' right to review. That means that until now, if you had issues with your job agency breaching or fining you unfairly, not giving you the 24 hours notice, you could actually complain to Centrelink and, and you, yes, and perhaps get the money back, but not anymore. And isn't it correct that uh, there was a very high percentage of rejections of the private uh, job agency's analysis once it was ta- an appeal was taken to Centrelink? That's right, but now it's off the chart altogether. So now the government is. Shred that, shedded that responsibility. Just put it onto the job agencies, which have a history of corruption. So um, this is the privatisation of our social security system by stealth. And you remember the last election, the LNP was furious when it was accused of trying to privatise Medicare. Well, it's now contracting. Well, trying to. <laughs> it's contracting out Centrelink services to Serco. And that's a company that runs prisons and asylum seeker centres. And now it's crucifying job seekers on the privatised job agency Cross, where rorts just go unchecked. It's really very scary, Annie. Yeah, it is what very our, scary. What our country's become yeah. and that the government doesn't really care uh, because the social safety net is a vital part of our civil society supporting social cohesion. But this government likes to divide and rule, creating divisions between rich and poor, and that's what it's doing. And it's so obvious, isn't it, with the housing and everything that's to do with people on lower incomes. They hate disadvantaged people. But but it's not just – I mean, the thing about it is, as it was pointed out in the earlier uh, uh, public housing uh, uh, down at Ascot Vale, uh, and it was a lived experience that people are able to uh, flower when they have uh, stability. Now – if working class people uh, and vulnerable people are not allowed to have any stability, they will be spending all their time trying to feed themselves and uh, cover themselves, etc., etc. 
and they will not be able to get their political voice out there into the mainstream so that their political voice will actually shape the society that we live in. It is a tragedy that we're in the midst of a tragedy. And I saw a quote the other day, apparently some great and discerning person said, never never underestimate how bad things can get. <laughs> and it's so disempowering, as you, as you said. So activists are being disempowered in, in many ways and unemployed workers are being demonised and going, you know, jumping through hoops when they go to the job agencies, which is their problem. We have a book to help them from the unemployed workers union but with these new changes where it's going to we're going to have have to really have a look at the rules that are changing because the agencies will have all the power um so to fight against these bills the AUWU's launched operation february flood and the goal is to flood crossbench mps and senators with letters urging them to vote down the welfare reform bill when it's discussed so and, what's the timeline for the bills well it's as soon as they come back Monday, they could start talking about it. We don't actually know. It's going to be sometime over the next month. And the vote's tight, so if we get one senator to change their mind, we can defeat the bill. So this week we sent a petition to the Nick Xenophon team pointing out how cruel and dangerous this bill was. Another target is Senator Darren Hinch. Hinch holds the balance of power in the Senate. And so um, we're really pushing for that as well. So we, we want our people letter writing and at the rally today, well, it'll be a gathering more than a rally, but we'll be encouraging all those who come along to hear our speakers to fill in these letters and send them off to yep. the senators. Um, it's so important. Yeah. it's uh, So the rallies, uh, the gathering is going to be at 1pm outside the State Library. Yes. Uh, and this is uh, before the Senate comes back. Uh have you heard anything from the senators? Uh, do they have any clear understanding that it's not just about dollars and cents, it's actually about the nature of the Australia that we're going to be living in? Because people out there who may not be Social Security recipients, uh, and as it's pointed out, I mean, you could lose your job tomorrow and then you'll have a very close acquaintanceship with this draconian system, Uh it, it people, it's not. It, it has a, a a knock-on effect because it is keeping the entire working population of Australia, as well as those who are not working, frightened. It's about not uh, ratcheting up the fear. Oh yes, just just keep it going. Yeah, well, we haven't heard back from Darren Hinge yet, and um, the other senators, uh, many of them aren't really opening up about what they're doing. Then we've got um, the Xenophon team who've, who've already been doing deals with the government, maybe to extract some benefits uh, for more rehab places. But this oh, it's is... It's always false benefits. Uh, you know, yeah. what, what, what was it? It's a small the, benefit. Yeah, you know, but the a, ABCC, when that was uh, up for uh, grabs, the Australian bu- uh, Building Commission, uh, you know, watchdog yeah. for, for uh, construction unions, basically... Uh, which was a, a, a extremely undemocratic and uh, draconian organisation. It is uh, when it came to the vote, Xenophon uh, and his crew voted uh, for it, uh, saying that they were getting special uh, balance deals for uh, for South Australia over water. 
when in actual fact, one, they're not apples and apples, and two, it was spurious. They didn't get them in the end anyway. Yeah. So, no, we won't be trusting him, but we're we're putting out um, the whole list of senators on our website to um, encourage people to follow through with that. We've just got to take action. And, um, you know, all the groups, some of our speakers today, we've got um, uh, the Socialist Alliance. I think we've got Father Bob Maguire, who's really good on um, poverty and homelessness, and that's where it's all at. People are homeless about this. Sylvie Lieber, Council for the Single Mother and Children and Fair Go for Pensioners. We've got Spike from the Homeless Persons Union. And then we're going to have an open mic so people can tell us some of their stories. So we think that's really important to, um, rather than just having people from large influential organisations, we want to hear from the people. Yeah. So it starts at one o'clock. It should be really good. Thanks for coming in and talking to us about it. Thanks very much, Annie. No worries. presents Communities of Sound, a summer afternoon showcasing treaty, creative women and diverse cultures. Live performances from Kutcher Edwards, Tundo, The West Papen Band, Sweet Dreams, Manisha Anjali, June Jones and Danny Sid. 
Catch us at the Fairfield Amphitheatre, Sunday 18th of February, 5 to 7.30pm. Communities of Sound is a free event presented as part of the Fairfield and Feb series. The City of Yarra is a proud sponsor of 3CR. Do you know an exceptional woman or group of women in the city of Yarra? Nominations are now open for Yarra City Council's 2018 Inspirational Women of Yarra Award. We are looking for women who make a contribution either through paid or unpaid work, volunteering or simply by being inspirational in the way they live their lives. All those who identify as women are eligible to be nominated. Nominations are due by Monday the 19th of February. For more information and to nominate, go to yarracity.vic.gov.au forward slash women. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Donate now by calling 9419 8377. Or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and I had promised that we would be hearing from Don Sutherland but we've run out of time so we'll hear from him next week. Uh, the uh, rally, uh, the gathering as uh, Valerie Fafalo from the Australian Unemployed Workers Union uh, put it uh, will be down at the State Library steps at 1pm. There will be another rally there at the same time so there's so many issues that need to be dealt with but uh, the uh, there's a group that are going to be uh, rallying against uh, Turkish uh, in, uh, assaults on uh, the Kurds. Um, all of a sudden the Americans don't want to play with the Kurds and allow them to have their free state. Uh, they've withdrawn and uh, allowed the Turks to, uh, um, I don't know what, you know, just steal someone else's land, you know. It, ne- it never goes out of fashion, does it? Anyway, uh, so there's going to be a lot of things going on down at the steps at the State Library uh, today. Uh, tomorrow, there is also a rally which you may want to involve yourself in. It's called It's No Racism. Stop criminalisation of African communities. There's been an ongoing assault on African community uh, members. Uh, the uh, idea of African descent uh, Australians being uh, involved in criminality. And uh, it, this has been perpetrated by uh, outlets like uh, the Channel 7 News. Although uh, the police and others have actually been turning down the heat on this and probably uh, wisely in the case of the uh, police after their uh, uh, basting in the courts uh, after uh, an anti-discrimination profiling case that was brought against them by the Community Legal Centre, Flemington Community Legal Centre, exactly on this issue. So they'd be quite sensitive to their responsibilities to uh, communities within our community. 
But uh, this is all apparently part of some Liberal Party kind of agenda where uh, Matthew Guy, the minister, the previous minister for big business in the Napthine government, was uh, is merrily trying to uh, create law and order as one of the main platforms. It's always gives. It's always giving the law and order. Uh, uh, policy area uh, when it comes to state elections. they uh, The federal government came in with boots supporting the uh, anti-African agenda uh, earlier in January. Uh, pretty bald-faced if you ask me and uh, obviously set to scare. Uh, and if you looked at the Channel 7 News, you'd find that uh, every uh, little bit of uh, street crime uh, that can be picked up on CT- CCTV cameras, it would be the lead story. Fascinating stuff. Um, you know, of course, that CCTV cameras have been set up around uh, the whole of the city in order to feed Channel 7 news. No, no, no. That that wasn't the reason for why public money was put into it. Anyway, as I said, we're coming to the end of the show and uh, because we had very little time to go and it would appear that uh, Asia-Pacific Currents is back on, which is great because it's a great program, gives us great insight into what's happening in our Asia-Pacific region when it comes to workers' rights. Uh, we're going to go out with... Uh, a uh, a track from a group that I'd, I'd just heard about. They're called, get a load of this, they're called Mariachi El Bronx. And uh, they do say, uh, they bill them as being uh, a mixture of mariachi and punk, but I must say that all the uh, various songs that I did listen to didn't have much punk in them. Uh, I don't know what people think punk is, but I was actually quite excited about the idea of there being sort of mad mariachi-fused punk. But they were very listenable indeed. So uh, uh, we're going to hear their song, Everything Dies. And uh, hopefully we will be able to hear from Asia-Pacific Currents after that. Sayonara. Love seven days we crawl up to the ground. Love seven sins we wear just like a crown. Angels will cry and angels will moan. When will they leave us alone? Alone.
seven spirits emerge from the clouds. Seven last words never spoken out loud. Angels will plot and angels will scheme to never wake up from the dream. Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.